Well, if you are just joining us, we are beginning a new series here at our church, and uh, we're going to be spending, I I believe, seven weeks um, talking about uh, God's design for our gender and sexuality. Um, And so today is going to be an introduction to that, Um, and and we're going to move into several different spaces, Um, and and I actually listed the... um, sermon series schedule on your app. If you go to the digital bulletin, go kind of all the way down there, you can see which weeks we'll be talking about which, and if that's helpful for you, um, as you are thinking of inviting, sharing, praying, and, and, and preparing ahead. So uh, as we jump into this, I, I, there's like, as soon as you start talking about this, people start, um, you know, putting you in a box or putting you on a side of an aisle, um, uh, assuming things about what you mean. Um, assuming what you're going to say because we're Christians or because you've heard this or you know that or, or whatever. Um, maybe some of you are here and you're, you're new, and even, even from what we just shared about a ministry, uh, a pro-life ministry and connecting the dots, and now we're going to talk about gender, you're already assuming some things. And, and so our heart and our hope as we step into this, uh, I just want to try to make that clear on the front end, is that as we step into this topic, and as we spend several weeks talking through this topic, and, and um, what, what's our hope? At the end of the seven weeks, what, what do I hope for our church? And, and, and here's just three simple um, and yet really pretty, pretty challenging and pretty um, robust hopes. So the first would be that we know what God's design is, why it's good, and how to raise our kiddos in it. Okay, So that we just know what did God mean for our lives, for our bodies, for our gender, for our sexuality? Why is it good? And then how do we, how do we raise our kids in that? And, and how do we hold fast to this in an increasingly confused and distorted world? How do we hold fast to this? What's the right way to hold fast to this? And the third hope that goes along with that is how do we, while holding fast to this, how do we minister to the confused and distorted world like Jesus would, okay? How do we do that? How do we, how do we hold fast to what God has meant for us in his good design, which is what we're gonna um, look at today. Uh, how, do, how do we hold fast to that truth and still minister to, be light and hope to uh, a world that uh, much like the issue we just talked about, there's people in the midst of this that get forgot about. Right? Because there's the ideologies and there's the, politi- there's the movements and there's these different, you know, there's bills and all these things. And we, and we kind of talk in a world of, of ideology and we talk, you know, up here. And then we, we attack people who are on the other side of this movement. And, and it becomes this dehumanized process. And what we often forget, just like with the pro-life movement, we, we forget that there's women who are struggling. There's women who are scared. There's women who are being pressured. There's women who are being forced. Similarly, on, on this topic of gender confusion and sexuality and, you know, those sorts of things, there are, there are people who are actually suffering. There are people who are actually confused and hurting and unsure of what to do with themselves because they don't 
they don't feel like they fit maybe a, a norm from our social you know, perspective, or they, 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 they do have a, a, genu- a genuine struggle within themselves, and they struggle with same-sex attraction, or they struggle with uh, you know, a, a dysmorphia of a, you know, th- these sorts of things. There's so many terms, but again, you just talk, talking about the terms, and you connect all these dots, you forget about the people. How do we not do that? How do we remember the people and hold fast to the truth? How do, how do we do that? And, and, and here's, our, here's the good news, is that Jesus modeled, modeled this for us. While he didn't talk you know, specifically about each of the issues that are at hand today, because there's, there's too many, uh, and it's ever-evolving, what he did is show up into a broken world, broken sexually, morally, religiously, economically, and it says that, that he took what was unknown about God before. The invisible attributes of God became visible as Jesus stepped into the world. And John 1.14 says that he was full of both grace and truth. He was full of both grace and truth at the same time. And in conversations like this, it's really tempting to just want to have one or the other. It's, in fact, it's more than tempting. It's more comfortable to have one or the other, isn't it? It's more comfortable to just hold on to the truth and it's safer there. We know what we believe and we're not gonna let that stuff out there taint us and you know, we're, we're more comfortable with the truth, right? And, or you can go on the other side and go, you know what, I'm more comfortable with grace. Like I don't really wanna judge people. I don't wanna make people feel bad. Who am I to say whether they're this or whether they're that or whether, what am I, if, you know, who am I to kind of judge their life? And so it's more comfortable to have one or the other, isn't it? Jesus comes and says, no, no, I'm gonna have both. Not only is it possible, it's the, very, it's the very image of God that he's a God full of both truth and grace. He won't be separated. He won't be divided. He won't be forced onto one side of the aisle. Jesus comes in and messes everybody's paradigm up. And we want to follow him. We want to let him lead us into this world of 2022 where, yeah, it seems like things are more confusing than ever, but... As Chad will lead us through in a few weeks, really there's nothing new under the sun. This is a new iteration of the same confusion and rebellion that we've seen for for generations, even from the jump. And it actually all goes back to the beginning, which is why we're starting where we are today in Genesis 1, because, uh, man, it is impossible to try to wrap our minds around all of the nuances and terms and, and, and things that have gone through in the last few years. I, I was just reading one quote from this book, which is... Which is uh, uh, tagged in your bulletin there as a recommended resource, but in um, in twenty in, t- in 2014, Facebook provided 56 ways that that users could describe themselves as well as male, male and female. So there's 56 options in a drop-down tab. By 2018, it was felt that list wasn't complete, and, and 71 options were provided. So I was reading that, and I was like, "Well, I wonder what it is now." And I got on there, and at least on mine, it was just it was male, female, or custom. So, so they've given up on trying to list all of the terms, and they've just said, you tell us. You, you could fill it in. Um, meaning there's this rejection of this idea of, you know, gender sexuality being, even the word binary has become this evil word, right? It's just, that's an oppressive, evil word in today's conversation, and and so it's like, hey, what, you know, what do you want to identify? And so I, I don't, like, I, I want to guard against a tone of mockery in this whole series. And so I don't even, I don't share that stat or that, that little thing as, as a way of mocking what's happening. 
Because when we do that, we're forgetting about people and we're not being like Jesus, right? There are some absurdities to the logic behind these movements. That is, that is to be sure, right? And we could point those out. We could, we could talk about the lack of logic, the lack of healing, the lack of, we can. But when we start to mock these things, we, we, we run the risk of, of running off people who actually need to hear the message of the gospel, which is what we're going to land on today is that this is all an issue of the gospel. And so be, I, I do just share that to say, man, this is an ever-increasing uh, and, and, and ever-evolving and changing conversation. It's impossible for us to you know, explain and re, you know, debunk and address every uh, form that these variations of sexuality are taking. But the good news is, just like you probably heard the illustration about how to spot a counterfeit, right? How the easiest way to learn to spot a counterfeit bill is, is not to learn about all the ways that bills are counterfeited, right? Because you learn about what people are doing it this way, and they're doing it this way, and you might notice that. No, no, no. How do they train people to spot counterfeits? They make them, to, they, they make them really, 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 really familiar with the true bill, right? It's the easiest way to, to, to spot a counterfeit is to be really familiar with the real thing, is to know the real thing in and out. And, and, and you know that one thing in and out, and then you can spot variances, and you can know when you've, you've, you've jumped off of that. And so similarly, that's our hope with this series, is not to address every question, every issue, and every drop-down tab that's in our world today. It, it, I'm not equipped. I'm not educated. And frankly, I don't think I'm called to that. But what we are called to is to see what does God say? Why is it good? How do we live it out? And then how do we respond to a world that is in desperate need for the good news of Jesus Christ, which encompasses our bodies? And that's going to be the point we try to leave with today. Does the good news of Jesus Christ, does the gospel actually impact and encompass our bodies and our sexuality and our our gender. And so let's, let's start in the beginning. This matters so much that we understand where this, this, all of this originated. That matters, but then specifically our sexuality. So, and man, there's terms to define. Sex, and gender, you know, gender and sexuality don't even mean the same thing in our world today. When I say gender, I'm talking about what is your sex, male or female, right? And, and when I say you know, sex in this context, I, I'm same thing. What is your, what, are you a male or are you a, a female? And so um, where does this come from? Um, we titled the series Very Good because we're going to see in today's passage that after God made all of creation, he said, man, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when he had made male and female, he said, it's very good. Why? That's what we're going to try to look at today. Why is it good? And why is it the answer for us to be called back and restored to this? So let's look at Genesis chapter 1 together. Verse 26. I, w- I would encourage you not to lose the impact of the first 25 verses because they are establishing God's authority as the creator. And that matters, doesn't it? The one who creates something has authority over it to say how it works, what it is, how it works, how you should use it, right? And so first 25 verses, he's the creator overall, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like, what was here in the beginning? God. And then he creates. And so verse 26 comes and says, then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, 
he created. And that's going to be a verse that anchors us, that we, that we go back to. I want the rest of this to be context and really supportive of this. And, um, and, and we won't be able to unpack fully the, the passage from Genesis 3 today. I just wanted that to kind of stand as an introduction and a, and a theme or a bedrock for the rest of this series, if you will. And so um, we're going we're gonna to focus mostly on verse 27 today. But as we, as we read on, I want you to hear the rest of this. And God blessed them. This is a good thing. He makes them, and, and he says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and every living thing. And God said, Behold, I've given you all of this. Verse, let's skip down to verse 31. And, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. So if you know the pattern of the creation story, God would make parts of creation, and he would, he would finish up a day and say, Man, what I made, it's good. It was good. He makes something else the next day, and he said it was good. And then on this final day, he says, it's very good. And that comes after making them male and female. So what I want us to hear today is that, uh, that God like, created, like, the, the, what it means to be human is to be male and female. Like, that our sexuality is indeed tied to our humanity, to what it means to even exist as a human. So, um, and, and that comes from, from God being the one who has made us. And, and listen, this is at the root, like, I, I understand totally if you're here and you're not a Christian and, and you're wondering, you know, what we're going to say about your sexuality or this or that, like, we are working off an understanding that, that, that God has the right to define who we are and how we live. And, and, and that, that is the issue that, like, we don't really need to talk about the details of sexuality if we're not on the same page with that. And so that, that's going to be our hope is that we're able to call people back to the goodness of God in his design and then let him restore him in the details. But there's a, there's a story from C.S. Lewis's uh, Mere Christianity where he talks about a schoolboy who was asked what he thought God was like. I mean, you've, you've probably heard this story before. So you ask a little boy, hey, what, what, what do you think God is like? And, and he goes, well, as far as I can make out, God's the sort of person who's always snooping around to see if anybody's enjoying themselves, and then he's trying to stop it. And, and C.S. Lewis says, I'm afraid that that is the sort of idea that the word morality raises in a good many people's minds, something that interferes, something that stops you from having a good time. In reality, moral rules and directions... In reality, moral rules are directions for running the human machine. Every moral rule is there to prevent a breakdown or a strain or a friction in the running of that machine. That is why these rules at first seem to be constantly interfering with our natural inclinations. When you're being taught how to use any machine, the instructor, the instructor keeps on saying, no, don't do it like that. Because, of course, there are all sorts of things that look all right and seem to you the natural way of treating the machine, but they don't really work. So what he's getting at is, is when, and when we start pr from a perspective of what do I want to do, then it can indeed seem like God's laws, God's commands are, are just there to shut down our being fulfilled, having a good time in life. And what C.S. Lewis is trying to rewind and say is, no, 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 like with any machine that you're learning how to operate, you, you need to know Okay, don't do this, that'll harm you. Don't do this, that'll blow the thing up. Don't do this, that'll hurt other people, right? And so you're, you're having to learn. So God has the authority to do that with us as his creation. And, and he's saying that his moral rules, his way of, of doing life is for our good that leads to our flourishing. 
And so when we come to this conversation about gender and sexuality, it, it's, it's important for us to know the heart of God is not, as we say often here, it's not to steal from us. Okay? And for some of you that are struggling, that's going to take some time to set in. Because what happens with this issue more than others is that this becomes correlated to our identity. Okay, so you, you, you've probably heard some conversations about, um, you know, these, like we don't need to, to treat, treat people who are in, in sexual sin and, and the LGBTQ community as, as their, uh, kind of their own branch of sinners, their own brand of sinners that are especially doomed to their own uh, special kind of hell. They are sinners like the rest of us. And that's actually not wrong. That's a, that's a mistake that we make when we make them out there as some, you know, people who are, are, you know, further from God than we are. And the reality is we're all sinners and we're all separated from God because of our rebellion. No matter what form that rebellion takes, when it comes to being justified before a holy God, there's not varying degrees and levels and a, a curve. It, it's, it's simply, are we righteous and holy or are we not? And the Bible says we are all not there's only one who is, that was Jesus, right? And, and so th that's an important conversation. And, and nonetheless, while that is an important conversation, what happens if we minimize this, or, or just in the conversation of our culture, this, these issues of sexuality and gender, they are not like other sins because they get attached, wrongly I would, I would say, but because of the narrative in our culture, it feels like it's a part of us, our sexuality, our, like, and, and it feels like to be told you can't live life this way if you have same-sex attraction, right? And you're told by the Bible that, that that's not allowed. It feels like it's saying you are wrong, right? It feels like if you have this going on and the Bible says that's not allowed, it, it feels like it's attached and tied to like this, this identity piece and this, this deep-rooted thing. When in reality, what is going on is 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 all of us have strayed from our design as God's image bearers, following God's way of living that leads to flourishing. And it takes different forms, but nonetheless, the solution is for all of us to be called back to God, to be restored back to God. And so, please know that however hard that is for you to hear in this moment, wherever you're at in the process of struggling with your own sin and your... Um, you know, what, what feels like how you're made, like know that if the Bible is calling you out of that, it is because God loves you, okay? It is not because he wants to steal from you or he uh, hates you, right? Because that becomes this, this rhetoric too. We, we, oh, Christians hate the, these people. Well, we better not, right? We better not hate those people. We need to love those people and we need to stop calling them those people. We need to start leaning into them as one of humanity, image bearers who need to be called and given the good news of, of Jesus Christ restoring image bearers back into their relationship with the one who they made in the image of, right? That, that's how we need to start viewing the world as people who need the gospel, 
Yes, it takes different forms, and yes, it has become a social issue, and it is elevated to this idea of ideology and legislation. Yes, all of that is true, but when it gets down to humanity, when it gets down to person to person, when you're sitting across from somebody who's struggling with a sin or or is far from God, we don't need to start with their issues of sexuality. We need to start with their issues of justification. We need to start with their issues of have you been restored to a living God? Because we are all outside of his will, whether our sin takes the form of something our culture accepts or not. And all of us need the good news of the gospel. So God is our good father. That's the first big idea that's going to be a bedrock for this series, is that God is our good father who has made us in a good way. And, and it is actually a part of the creation bedrock narrative that the way that he has made us is to be male and female. Okay, so let's go on and, and see that, that as he, as he um, if, if you, we, we didn't read this passage today, but if you look at, at the, the Genesis 2, it's sort of a zooming in on, um, from the, the big picture of creation into when God made Adam and Eve. And, and one of the things you'll notice is that when, when, when God had made um, all of the creation and all of the animals, and he let Adam name them all, and, and it says uh, this is before Eve was created, and it says, in um, none of the animals, Adam saw all of them, and none of them he found, he, he didn't find a helper suitable for him. And so God said, it's not good that a man shall be alone. Let me make a helper suitable for him. So this comes from uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Um, and and, and that, that, I want to take a moment and look at that idea, because right there in that narrative, it, it, it begins to show us something about God's design and how male and female is not this thing that needs to be blurred so that some kind of self-realization can happen, but, but rather a thing to be understood, a thing to be lived out, and a thing to be exalted as God's good design. And so when we see, it says that it's not good that man is alone. Even in that statement, there's something being said about God's intention for male and female. That very statement of there not being an, an, a helper that was a good fit for adding that Adam, that starts to say something to us and for us about the, the necessity and the importance and the significance of gender distinction, doesn't it? it, it we see that man alone wasn't a good thing. And so in this creation account right here in, in Genesis 2, it says that, that God says, okay, I'm going to make a helper. I'm going to make a woman to be a helper fit for him. Now, I've said this before. I say this at most weddings, but that idea gets misunderstood because it sounds like, okay, well, Adam's varsity. Adam's really the one that God wanted to do all this stuff. He goes, ah, he's not quite capable. Let me make him an assistant coach, right? Let me, let me give him somebody to kind of come along the way, clean up his messes, if you will, right? And so um, that, that's not the idea that the Bible puts forth for us, right? So I want to look at that, uh, that word, that phrase uh, in Hebrew, um, Helper fit for him is translated from ezer kenigdo in Hebrew. And the word ezer in Hebrew denote, does, does not denote a person of lesser worth or value. Okay, so it's not saying, uh, let, me, let, me make, let me make a second class human to help make sure this first class human has everything he needs. No, it's not what he's saying. The word ezer um, occurs 21 times in the Old Testament, and 16 of these times it refers to God himself as Israel's help. Okay, so almost every other time this word is used, it's used to refer to God himself showing up for Israel. 
being the one who steps in for them that is what they need. And so this, by no means is this a, a, a lesser than human that is being made here. And the idea of Canigdo uh, is, is fit for him, right? A helper fit for him. That comes from Ezra Canigdo, Ezra being helper and Canigdo being fit for him. That, that communicates something right there to us, doesn't it? It communicates complementarity, right? It communicates that, that when God makes the woman, there is both similarity and dissimilarity to the man, doesn't it? When, when he says a helper fit for him, because it, it, they are both made in his image. Back to chapter 1, verse 26, 27. Uh, God made man in his image, in, or made him in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. Listen, there's a lot of attributes about humanity, aren't there? Like there's a lot of different things that actually uh, make us stand out from the rest of creation, aren't there? Our cognitive ability, our emotional capacity, our communicative capacity. There's all these things that, that actually set humans apart from the rest of the created order. But what does God choose to highlight as core to what it means to be a human and to be created in the image of God? It says, let's look at verse 27. This is like poetry in Hebrew, and it has, it's structured in such a way to communicate the value of how we were made. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Okay, and so Adam had seen all the horses and dogs and lions and giraffes and elephants and all of the other things. He named them, and not a helper was found that was suitable for him. And, and so God's going to make an Ezra Canigdo. And, and again, it, create, that, it says she's going to be like him in the sense that they're image bearers, in the sense that they stand out from the rest of the world in the sense that they are given the job of ruling and reigning over the world together. So there is similarity in that they are both in the image of God, but there is dissimilarity because she is a helper that is fit for him. She fills in gaps that, that or not, that is not even the right word. We gotta be, the, the language here is so important, but she compliments him. She together with the man images God. And so the, the, again, right there from the start, it, it begins to tell us that the design for woman is not this second-class deal. It's actually, it brings this fullness of what it means. God intends for the woman to complement, not to duplicate the man, but to complement the man. The difference of calling is God's design from the beginning. And so there is no difference in value. There is no difference in what one's an image bearer and one is not. There, there is a difference in DNA. There is a difference in, um, you know, how the, the body's gonna actually form up, and we're gonna talk about that in the next few weeks. What is a man? What is a woman? Right? Because there are biological differences. When you get a Y chromosome and your dominant um, you know, hormone is, is testosterone, like that's for a purpose. It makes differences structurally, but it, those differences coincide with a specific calling and a specific role. Same is true for women, right? When you, when you get an XX chromosome and, and, and your dominant you know, hormone is, is estrogen and, and your biology is made up in such a way that, that you're able to, to bring life and to bear forth. Like, your body looks different. There's structural differences, physical differences, but those aren't less than, they're not to be abused and used by one or the other. Rather, together, to fill the role 
of female and male, right? That God has a design for our bodies, a design for our sexuality that coincides with his calling for our humanity. What's our calling of humanity? Is to be God's image bearers, to go forth and to rule the world in God's stead. He says, I'm gonna make all, and, and listen, when God started making things, he makes order out of chaos. It, it says, like when you, when you, when you zoom in, uh, it, it says, man, God was hovering over the deep and, and there, was, there was no form, there was no void, it was, it was just darkness. And God begins to speak and to create. This is, this is the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the world. And then God said, let there be light. God begins to create. And, and in his creation, he's bringing order out of chaos. So now he makes this beautiful world. It's full of vegetation and life and creatures are, are flowing everywhere. And then he puts Adam and Eve there to go and, and have dominion over it, to rule and to reign. So, okay, so God took what was formless and void and dark and began to create. And he, he brought trees and he brought fish and he brought waters and he brought mountains and he brought all the beauty that you love. And then he goes, okay, now you guys are going to continue this on. You're going to be my rulers in my stead. You're, you're going to be here on earth doing what I've done from this galaxy standpoint. You're going to be doing it here. You're going to be taking the raw materials of this world and creating things, building homes and building gardens and, and, and building life, right? And, and this is part of what it means to be creative. And then, but, but this is so beautiful because like, God is the only one who's able to create something out of nothing. I can't do that. Can you? I know you can't, because you wouldn't be here, right? You'd be rich, ruling the world. If you could just create something out of nothing, you wouldn't be here, okay? So you can't either. You can't just create something out of it, but God can. But, but, it's a beautiful design. Then when a man and a woman unite, and their bodies fit together, complement one another, what can happen? Life comes, right? Life is generated from a man and a woman participating. Like all of our life, like even if it's created in some lab somewhere, still actually comes from male and female together. Like this is a part of God's design to be like him and to image him in the world and to, to have his bearing on this, the, the, the rough you know, materials, raw materials of this world. He puts man and woman and says, now, Go, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, okay? So this is the cultural mandate. This is what God made us as humans to be, his image bearers. And, and this, our, our sexuality is not this, you know, thing that we can take or leave or may or may not fit what we, no, it, it's, it's given by God as a part of being in the image of God. So, Masculinity and femininity are not aspects of the fallen order to be overcome. They are instead part of what God declared from the beginning to be very good. You see, you need to make note of that change from good, 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 first five days, day six, it's very good. Why? Because he just made them male and female. He made them in his image. He made them male and female. It's a beautiful picture of the Father's heart. It's a beautiful picture of the, God, of the Father's design. This is how we're made. 
This is where we find rest and shalom and peace. This is where humans are content, in the will and the design and the purpose of God. This is the core of our identity, right? And, and missing this or, or not knowing this or no longer believing this is the root of our world's confusion about gender and sexuality. You see, and, and that's why we included chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 today, because I just want you to begin to see that, that it, any this, in any like variation from male and female being very good, any variation from that is, is birthed out of the same narrative from Genesis 3 that Satan comes along and, and begins to shift our focus from being there to image God, there to bring glory to God, and instead being there to what? Fulfill our potential, fulfill our sense of self. It's a very interesting study to, to trace this idea of self back through humanity and back through the last few years and all the way back for, you know, to uh, Darwin and Nietzsche and all of these things that have begun to build this, this cultural opportunity and, and just the, the, you know, the cultivate the soil for us to say, you know what? I, th I think what really matters is not the DNA within me or the anatomy that I'm born with, but actually how I feel inside. Like that that's what I actually need to be fulfilled and whole. It, it, and if I have this brokenness that, that doesn't line up, if, I, if my life and my, my desires don't line up with the, the body that's been given to me, then instead of trying to adjust my life and my desires, I should adjust my body to align with those things. This is a new, that part is actually a fairly new idea and concept, right? In the, in the in the 20th century, where people begin to say, no longer is, is this idea of struggling with our sexuality and our, our you know, the sex given to us a, a mental, in the, in the social world, a mental illness that's to be treated as mental illness. Rather, there, there began to be a shift where they said, you know what? No, it's not. And, and instead of treating the mental aspect, we're going to treat the physical aspect, and we're going to try to change someone's body to to, to fit what they're feeling inside. And, and, the, and if you're honest, and if you will do the research yourself and go beyond the narrative that, you know, our media and, and, and movements are putting out there, it's not helping people, right? That just a few years ago, Johns Hopkins University stopped doing gender reassignment surgeries. They were one of the pioneers and leaders in it. But then they did a survey of all the people that they'd done this to and realized it hasn't helped them that their mental illness, their struggle, their depression, their fear, all of that had increased and suicide was high. And, and, they, and they begin to say, okay, one of the guys even said, hey, we've been perpetuating madness of mental illness here. Instead of treating it, we've just allowed it to dictate what we're doing. And they stopped doing it as a hospital, right? So if, if, you, if you look beyond the narrative, you'll actually see that hard evidence says this is not a helpful way to help people who are struggling. And this is where we as Christians need to go beyond that narrative ourselves and make sure that we know what will help people who are struggling. Because the root issue of sin that caused all this to begin unraveling is found in Genesis chapter 3. When, when the whisper begins to get into our soul, into our heart, did God really say? Did God really say? You see, that, that's how this all begins to unravel and go from God's good design that is very good and there for life to flourish. And, and man, it's good, good. Like it's real good. It's paradise good. 
to the struggle that you and I know today. It starts here with the question, did God really say? And, and the embedding of this idea of, oh, yeah, yeah, if he said that, it's because he's holding out on you. It's because he doesn't want you to be all you can be. You don't believe me? Let's read, the, let's read it real quick as we end. Genesis 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, and he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? I know we didn't read the passage today. He said, You can eat of all the trees except one. So he, but he goes, Did God really say you can't eat this stuff? Looks so good, doesn't it? And she goes, Well, no. The woman said to him, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent says, ah, you won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Right? So he begins to twist and say, did God really say you can't eat of anything? Well, we can eat this, just not that one, because if we eat it, we'll die. Oh, no, no, you won't die. You'll live. You'll really live. God's holding out on you. He knows, he knows that when you eat of it, you'll know good and evil. You'll have the sense of self-actualization. You see, this is just same story, different words, right? The same stuff that's being perpetuated in our schools and in our, like all of these things that are being pushed in. It's the same question of what you really need is to be fully self-actualized. You need to be given the freedom to be who you feel you should be. And this is the same lie that Satan is embedding right here at the start. God knows that if you eat that, man, you'll know what he knows. You'll become the full sense of yourself, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing some lines here, but this is the same deal, right? You won't surely die. You'll live. So the woman sees it. She eats, right? And, and then begins to unravel God's good design for gender. And you see that even in the implications, which we'll work through in the next couple of weeks, you see right here is whenever we're, there begins to be tension between the sexes. Up to this point, it was purely complimentary, purely beautiful, purely wonderful. After this, God has to put parameters in place. He says, all right, this curse, it's going to have implications on your marriage. This curse is going to have implication on the desires of a woman and the desires of a man. This curse is going to bring a destructive nature to what God created as the very fundamental essence of what it means to be human. It's got a going to crack in the foundation right here because we believe this lie that what we actually need is not God's design for us, but to be given permission to pursue what's in us. Now, I'm very aware that that's an oversimplification of many hard narratives and many well-documented processes that people have gone through. I am very aware of that. I, I am unable, uneducated, like unequipped to walk through all of those nuances. But like I said earlier, we want to provide this bedrock truth for us to come back to. I think of it like navigating. I don't know about y'all. I have zero sense of direction. I'm just real bad at it. Like I get confused all the time. I go to St. Louis all the time. Lived up there for two years. My wife and I were home, on our way home from Metro East the other day trying to stop and get ice cream. I went nine miles back the wrong way. On 64, y'all. <laughs> I'm not good at this, right? I'm a confused man when it comes to directions. Around here, like, you can't, like, you can't say, should I go east or west? I'm like, ah, where's Route 13? That's what I have to do. Okay, Route 13, that's west, that's east. That, if, I can, if I know where Route 13 or Route 57 is, I can get oriented. 
Otherwise, I am really lost. Woods, I mean, I'm just not, I like to hunt, but man, I'll get lost. My phone better have battery, right? We need an anchor point. We need something that's unchanging for us to go back to, right? Long before our phones told us where to go, there was MapQuest that we printed out, right? And before that, there was these big maps that we actually unfolded. How many of y'all had to hold that for your parents and try to navigate? How many of y'all tried to fold that thing back up? And you just gave up. This has been a wad in the back of your car window, right? Before that, like you go all the way back, people had to learn how to navigate. How'd they do that? By finding fixed points that didn't change, like the North Star, like constellations, and say, okay, I know that. I, and for me, very simply, I know Route 13 goes west and it goes east, and if I can, which side of that am I on? I, I can orient. Otherwise, I'm real confused. Here's the deal. Our world's got all kinds of directions for us. There's all kinds of confusion, and it's changing all the time. You ever, you ever go back to where you're from and realize, man, ah, it's changed. There's new buildings here. There's new roads here. Like, I used to just go here, but I, that, that's different, right? And you're a little disoriented. You ever done that? Been gone from a place for a long time? You go back, you're like, man, it's changed. But if you can, what do you do? You look for, okay, well, where's this? Right, where's the water tower? Where's the, where's the, where's the interstate? Okay, that doesn't get you your bearings, right? Listen, the world's changing when it comes to this issue of sexuality and, and gender, and it's ever changing. We need to know what is, what is the landmark that we come back to? And it's Genesis 1. Our God's good. And he made us good. And he made us male and female. Any struggle outside of that is a wound to be healed, not some self to be actualized. Okay, I'll say that again. Any struggle outside of male, female is a wound to be healed, not a self to be actualized. You say, well, that doesn't sound very loving. It's the most loving. It's the most loving. Because if he made us, and he knows, and he did, then to allow us to pursue something outside of his will will, will bring us harm. And it's his goodness that he sent Jesus to come back and to show us the way. Show us the way back to to the garden. Show us the way back to the God who's given us our identity and our core self. And so if you're here and you're struggling and you wonder, what would we say? What does the Bible say? What will this church say? I want you to hear what Jesus says. Jesus comes upon Jerusalem and he looks at this city that's all kinds of confused. Religiously, sexually, economically, it's, 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 a, it's a mess. Instead of getting angry, he, he begins to weep. And it says that he has compassion upon them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he says, man, it's the father's heart that I would, have, I would have gathered you in like a hen gathers her, her chicks under her wings so many times. This is, this is God's heart towards you. He says, I would have so often when I've seen you broken, when I've seen you struggling, when I've seen you in a mess, my heart has been to come and get you like a hen comes and gets her chicks. But, but it, he couldn't. It wouldn't work. It, we, we, were, we were rebellious chicks. And so instead of just saying, you know what, forget it. You made your bed. He goes, no, no. I'm coming. 
I'm coming into that bed. I'm coming into that mess. I'm coming into that city. And, and I'm coming in to, to bear your brokenness, to bear your confusion, to bear your pain upon myself. And Jesus knows he's headed to the cross, but he steps in there anyway. For the joy that's set before him, he goes to save those who are confused and lost and broken by taking our mess onto himself, letting it have its full bearing on his body, being put in a grave where we belong. And the reason he comes back to life is because that had no hold on him. That wasn't his mess. He comes back to life and he says, now, you who are weary, burdened, heavy laden, broken, scared, wounded, raped, harmed, abused, sexually molested, confused, you, you, all of you, come to me. I'll give you rest. This is the good news of the gospel. And it applies to our bodies. It applies to our sexuality. It applies to our lives. I don't know your story. I don't know all the nuances, but I know this is true for you. Jesus says, come. Let's pray. Father, we need your heart to scream forth truth, to overwhelm this world. And, so, and right now, we need it to overwhelm our world. Father, I pray for those that are struggling, those that have secrets, those that are fearful. I pray that your heart would overwhelm them, that you're a good father who loves them and has come to heal Help us to be a people who lean in and to become like you in this world that is increasingly confused. May we be a people who are increasingly full of hope. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church, the altar's open. Um, we're running close. If you wanna go get your kiddos and bring them back in here for this final song, you can, but the altar's open. Um, I'll be over here, Chad. Um, we'll be on the other side. We'd love to pray with you. There's, we'll have community group leaders kind of on the front row too. We would love to pray with you, but maybe you just need to reflect where you are. Maybe you need to come to the altar. You respond as the Lord leads. That's what this final song is for. Let's worship together.